Ladies and gentlemen, this is Book Music. I am Tosh. And I'm Kimley. And each episode of Book Music, we discuss a specific book on, I hope you're ever sitting down, but we discuss only books on music. <laughs> Therefore, that's why we're Book Music. And every episode, we, we choose a book and we, it could be either be music history or it could be a music biography or a memoir from a musician, even a fictional character that's uh, featured in the novel, anything to do with music and all sorts of music. And today we're going to discuss a book called Why Marianne Faithful Matters by Tanya Pearson, published by the University of Texas Press. Uh, I presume that's in Texas. <laughs> it's kind of like book music, you know. It's obvious, <laughs> straight to the point. <laughs> <laughs> no ego involved there. <laughs> it's actually part of a series, um, like the Why Name, Name, Name Matters uh, that the University of Texas Press publishes. Right. We did the Why LaBelle Matters. Yeah, uh, which was a really good ago. book. Really yeah, good book. Great. Yeah. And um, so it's sort of a, not want to say scholarly, but it's kind of a more on the scholarly side, but very, you know, very much a strong, a writer's, a writer's strong point of view of their subject matter. And um, so that's what this book series is. I only read two now. We read the uh, LaBelle, Why LaBelle Matters. Right. And now uh, Why Marianne Faithful Matters. Why does she matter? <laughs> Well, it was interesting to read that she, I mean, she's uh, not of Marianne Faithful's generation. So she no. didn't even know about her until 1997 when she said she saw her on uh, Saturday Night Live performing with Metallica. Yeah. And I actually found, I found that clip because I don't remember seeing that. I, I kind of got out of the habit of watching SNL in the 90s, uh -huh. but I did find the clip online. It was pretty fun to watch. But yeah, Marianne Papel is so amazing. I mean, yes. it's just, uh, here she is. She was, uh, I don't know, I think she was in her 50s at the time when she uh -huh. was doing that. And, you know, she's so comfortable in such a wide range of music and, uh -huh. and the people that she performs with. You know, she has such a clear sense of who she is. You know, I don't think she did when she first started, obviously, when she was young. But, you know, as she got older, she definitely came into her own. Yeah, I feel, I, I feel a little bit different. I, you know, I, I discovered her as a, again, like all my music that I right, enjoy. Right, right. Well, well, I, I was a little boy, about 10 years old or 11 years old. And um, I saw her on TV, of course. And I uh -huh. heard her record. The record was as years go by. It was a right. huge hit in America at the time. And uh, I like totally loved her as I loved Helly Mills, my other. Oh, uh, right. <laughs> both, both are blonde. Uh -huh. Yeah, they do look a little bit alike. Uh, you have a type. Pouting <laughs> lips, yes. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, that really appeals to children. <laughs> right. Well, there's a sweetness and a sexiness to her, you know. Yes. And, you know, the age difference, of course, is huge when you're a child. But in reality, she's only like eight years older than me. Right. right. I mean, if I, if I, yeah. But when you're 10, and, yeah, yeah. she was an adult, so to, but, so to speak. But, but the, the irony, I can 
go out with Marianne now or Haley Mills now and <laughs> never will think anything about it. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? <laughs> okay. <laughs> but yeah, she was always like something special, you know. So I, yeah, first, you know, definitely she was sort of um, marketed and staged by Andrew Lowe Goldham, who um, was the Rolling Stones manager right. and record producer. And, you know, he saw Marianne Faithful, and obviously he, when she was 16, something like that, 16 years old, mm-hmm. and he definitely saw an image of her, and, you know, he marked that image. But I feel that Marianne Faithful is always true to herself, even in that time. You know, mm-hmm. I, I think I find her work very, very much um, not that unfamiliar, not that unsimilar to me, like Scott Walker, because mm-hmm. uh, you know the Walker brothers, you know, and right. then and then there was Scott Walker early solo albums, and then he got the strange, you know, then Scott even went beyond that, of course. Mm-hmm. And I think Marianne Faithful is is an artist, has always been an artist true to herself. Um, mm-hmm. It's been a rocky journey for for sure, and the destination is sometimes difficult. But I, I always felt, you know, I never felt her like this being, even as a child, I never felt her just like, oh, she's this a pop singer or, or. Yeah, you didn't think she was being manipulated? No, I did not. No, I did not. I did mm. not. I thought she was, mm. she, to me, she's always been in the presence of strength and um, a yeah. position. I want to say power, but more the position of, um, I don't feel that she was a puppet. I don't think she was right. like a, a, pup, a pop puppet. Mm-hmm. And you can argue like Serge Gainsbourg. Um, and actually, what come to think of bringing Serge Gainsbourg, I think I think Marianne Faithful and Serge did a record together in the '60s as well. Oh, really? Oh, I didn't know that. So that makes perfect sense. But like you know, like Serge's relationship with like Franz Gall, that's totally like an older man manipulating a young right. teenager type right. of thing. I never right. felt that Andrew was was in that position as a Serge Gainsbourg. He maybe tried, or maybe that was his attempt. But mm-hmm. I think. Uh, Marianne Faithful's um, recordings were very strong and very strong of character. It's not like the character of the songwriter. It's how she interprets right. the song in a very, in a very strong individual way. Yeah, well, certainly she didn't have the kind of naivete that a friend Skull did, who didn't even really know what she was saying. No. No. <laughs> so yeah, it was definitely a little more. Uh, even if she was kind of playing along with whatever game. They yeah. were setting up for she was aware of it um you know i don't it's hard to say what her comfort level was with it. well yeah i think i, I don't know about france gal's background you know i know you know she's roughly the same age as marianne faithful you know she passed uh, away recently france yeah. gal but you know definitely marianne faithful comes from an interesting heritage heritage or her yeah. background her yeah mother, she gets into that a little bit in the book yeah, yeah. And one of the interesting things about uh, uh, of Tanya's uh, Pearson's book is sort of the background stuff about Marianne Faithful um, yeah. and the mother Ava, Ava, yeah, Eva, yeah. sorry, Eva, yeah, um, uh, who's a bohemian herself in many ways, right, and um, right. and Marianne is very much the daughter of, but that. nobility and, too is kind sorry, of like yes. downtrodden nobility. <laughs> yes, messism, sadism. Yes, yes, yeah. Venus and Furs out there. Uh, Where we get the, the word masochism. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. It's yeah, I mean, that's perfect, right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm kind of surprised that uh, uh, Andrew did not promote that aspect of it. <laughs> 
Well, it was more innocent times back then, I think, I in guess the beginning. So. I you guess know, so. <laughs> in the early 60s, for sure. Yeah, so that was her great uncle. Um, right. What's his name? The sadism. <laughs> Leopold, I think, right? Leopold von Von Maskum's yeah. <laughs> whipping, begging for yeah. Venus and furs, <laughs> Devil Underground, yes. <laughs> Which also brings up, so she did talk about this a bit in the book, and it's funny because as she starts the book out, I'm thinking, God, so many of these things mirror all the stuff we were just reading in the Nico book that we read yeah. with by Jennifer Otter Biggerdyke. And it was yes. like, because Tanya talks about how, you know, she had this sort of love-hate thing with her beauty, you know, that yeah. it was a curse. But, yeah. you know, she also knew how to manipulate it, you know, and that was a thing that Nico said, too, you know, that yeah. she just sort of really hated that that was the first thing that people noticed about her rather than, you know, seeing that she was also intelligent and creative. And, yes, you know, obviously they both had problems with drugs, very serious problems with drugs. Yes, they did. As they got older, they both started to do more serious experimental kind of music yeah. that not everybody, you know, was willing to get on the bandwagon with. But no. you know, they were both very strong willed and they started writing their own music, which, you know, in both early in their careers, yeah. they, they were doing other people's music. Both of them didn't compromise their, yeah. their art and their talent. It's yeah. And, and the comparisons with Nico is very interesting because they, they are similar in many ways. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and the way that Nico approached her music, I think Marianne approached her music in a similar way, though Marianne Faithful is more of a collaborator than Nico is, I think. I mean, Nico collaborated with John Cale on, on some of those recordings, mm-hmm. and of course with the Velvet and Lou Reed stuff. But um, there's something very singular and very sort of uh, solo like Nico. You know, you know, I don't think of Nico, though she did have a band later. I mm-hmm. it's it's I don't think of it being part of a band. She's always Nico. Yeah. And Marion Faithful uh, always worked with collaborators and um and those collaborators um contribute greatly on her records and stuff. But you know, she chooses to to work with and places herself in a position to work with these people. Yeah, I mean she definitely picks really interesting and uh, diverse group of people to work with but you know it's always still very much marianne um, yes that's the and that's that's the great thing about her that is why marianne faithful matters <laughs> and she's a good role model i think for for other artists um yeah i mean she's still you know it's so cool that she's in her 70s and yeah. she's still recording i mean she just had a record come out of uh, recited poetry with music by Warren Ellis of yes. Cave and the Bad Seas, which is just, it's beautiful. I listened mm-hmm. to it the other day for the first time, and it's uh, its a really beautiful record. Yeah, you know, whenever she opened her mouth, even in the early 60s when she had this sort of high, sort of folky voice to her current work, it's always uniquely Marianne Faithful. I mean, it's not, I can't even compare it to another singer, really. Yeah, no, you would recognize her voice in an instant, you know, yeah. even if you didn't see it anywhere, you were just hearing it somewhere, and it was something you, even if you didn't know, you'd never heard that recording before you'd know it was her. Yeah, and Metallica using her is quite wise, because it's Marianne Faithful, for God's sake, singing. Right. <laughs> and it sounds like Marianne Faithful. Right. <laughs> she's, not, right. she's not a session singer, you know, she's not a backup Singer. Right, she's no. not part of the blossoms or some, you know, the crystals. She's Marianne Faithful doing this. Right, right, and she, well, she brings some real edge too. I mean, yeah. Marianne Faithful is a badass. I mean, she's I loved badass. how she talked about how you know 
her position in the punk rock scene, even though she's not really a punk. No. But that was sort of when, you know, her her big breakthrough album, Broken English, came out in 79, yeah. sort of at the height of of the punk era. But, you know, she was so she got sort of associated with that. But, you know, she yeah. wasn't really punk. But no. but, you know, she makes the point in the book that it's really more an attitude. And it's yeah. just like Marianne Faithful's got that badass attitude. You know, she's got some edge. She's got a shitload of integrity. You know, she yeah. just she does what she wants to do. And um, I think it's really admirable. And also, she's and strangely enough, she was actually a perfect fit for the Rolling Stones of the '60s and you know very early '70s. Even though they split up, mm-hmm. you know, you know, the Stones version of Sister Morphine you know, came out in like 1971 on Sticky Fingers. Uh-huh. And that song is such a strong, distinctive piece of work. And right. um, including her v- original version, of course, which is better in my opinion. Mm-hmm. But, um, <laughs> but, you know, the thing about the Stones, which is interesting to me, is, you know, if Mick Jagger himself is not that interesting, but he knows interesting people to work with. Right. So I feel like Marion Faithful was not only like a muse, which is a terrible position for anybody to be in, especially uh, a young woman, but, you know, she really did contribute to not only to that relationship or that image of the Stones, like Anita Palmberg did with, um, you know, with Brian Jones and Keith Richards. I mean, Mm -hmm. the Stones would be a totally different band if those women did not exist in in that circle. Mm-hmm. You know, like mm-hmm. they need, they need Anita Palmer. They need Marianne Payful. Right. Well, I mean, they were more than just arm candy. Clearly they, they were having creative input. You know? Yes. It wasn't, and it wasn't just like, oh, I'm going to write this great song for you, babe, because I love you. You know, no. it wasn't, you know, like that's kind of what I think people think of when they think of the muse. And yeah, and, and clearly, you know, these women had a lot more input. Yeah. And Marianne Payful actually gave the book, uh, that inspired uh, Jagger to write Sympathy for the Devil. Um, oh, right. I think she mentioned that in the book. M- what Marianne contributed was very, very important to that group. And to this day, when you look back, that's what made them, in an argumentative sense, or, or that, that, that's what made them a great band or a great presence in the, in the rock and roll world. Right. It's not Mick Jagger to me. It's more like the people they work with, you know, like Graham Parsons or Marion Faithful, of course. And Brian Jones has always been like an outsider, even though he was in the band. Jack Nietzsche, even Andrew Lowe Goldham. You know, it's uh-huh. it's like a strong team of really crazed individuals that made the center good. Uh-huh. And Marianne was very much part of that. I would say team, but one of the artists that really like really uh, sent the stones to another level. Right. And I think she's that way with everything she approached. You know, have, you, have you read her memoir, Faithful? No, I would really like to. It's a good book. Yeah. Yeah, it was good. And, and it's, um, it's interesting because, she, well, one, she's very honest about her life and stuff. But, you know, even, you know just by just because who she is, she comes off so cool because she is cool. Right. You know, there's, no, <laughs> there's nothing uncool about her. There's people who pretend to be cool. And there's people, you know, who want to be cool, but she is just naturally born or she's absolutely a cool person. Yeah. She'll always be cool no matter how old she gets or, you know, it's just, (laughs) she's one of those people. It's uh... So something like the punk era, which in a way had a sort of anti-60s mythology, um, she fits very much into that because she herself is, you know, she's such a bohemian character. She can fit into any of that, any like anti-establishment movements of any sort. 
Mm-hmm. You know, she's. I think she's very comfortable in that. Yeah, she's one of those people who seems to be able to uh, just fit in anywhere she decides she wants to fit in. Yeah. (laughs) She can make any situation work with anybody that she finds interesting. I mean, when you look at the variety of people that she's collaborated, you know, it's like Beck, Jarvis Cocker, Damon Albarn, Hal Wilner doing all the um, uh, Kurt Vile stuff. Yes, the the late Hal Wilner, yes. Yeah. um, You know, it's just... uh, the wide range of things that she's chosen to do is really kind of stunning. And again, like these people, when they write songs for her or co-write the songs, when she opens her mouth, it's totally Marianne Faithful. Oh yeah. Yes. It's, yeah. Not, it's it like, it's not a driver, a driver's cocker piece or, or, you know, a Damien piece or a Beck piece. It becomes immediately a Marianne vehicle, a song, her song. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. I was listening to the album, uh, the one that's all collaborations the mm-hmm. other night. And um, I didn't realize, I just kind of had it on while I was doing some other stuff. And then all of a sudden there was one that was an actual cover of a Beck song. And I was like, I, I was kind of like, Wait, what is this song? I know mm-hmm. this song. You know, it took me a while because it sounded so much like it was hers, except yeah. that I just like, I knew it was a song that she was covering, but it took me a while before I was like, oh yeah, that's Beck's song. <laughs> right. Cause it was very, she had definitely made it very much her own. Yeah. So and that that voice of hers, which is just so I mean, I, I I love her older voice. I love how it got. I mean, it's unfortunate how it got that way, but uh, it's got so much character to it. It's just such a wonderfully rich voice. And I believe she can't sing anymore. Oh, is that OK? Is that the, why you, well, she did the poetry reciting. Yes. I mean, in a way, oh, you know, she's she's working with her limitations, but she knows how to work in, 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 in right. limitations really well. Yeah, well, um, that's what you got to do. It's like Matisse, yeah. you know. It's like he had a stroke and he couldn't paint anymore, so he yeah. did his cutouts. You know, um, you do what you have to do. <laughs> she was in the hospital during the COVID nineteen situation. Yeah, and, I know. It was sad. Yeah. And I think it was very touch and go with her for a while. Yeah, um, no, I think she was on a ventilator. I think she yeah. was uh, so pretty it, seriously ill. So it damaged her her vocal cords. Oh, I so it's just since COVID that she can't sing. Yeah. Oh, God, that's heartbreaking. Wear a mask, everyone. Oh, no kidding. Oh, boy. But, you know, I think that, you know, she turns the negatives into a positive. I mean, this is not, you know, it's not a sad story. No, Uh, she's still doing stuff, which is amazing, you know? And it's interesting because I think, you know, some people might think, well, oh, she's just doing it because she needs to make money. And it's like, well, maybe she does. Mm -hmm. But I feel like uh, she's never going to compromise herself just to make money because... There's so many other things she could do if she really wanted to make more money. You know, it's definitely, you don't put out an album of poetry if you're looking to make no, money. <laughs> no, Mar- Marianne Faithful can only do Marianne Faithful. Yeah. yeah I mean, that's just, and that's the beauty of it. You know, she's not like, she can't do somebody else. She can't be Madonna. She can't, you know. Yeah. She she can only do Marianne Faithful and what she does exceptionally well, you know, and, and that's what makes her such a, and that's why Marianne Faithful matters <laughs> now, it's interesting because she did mention in the book marianne is well known among um you know people who are music junkies that she's not yeah. really that well known among young like just the average young person who even though they may not like the rolling stones everybody uh, knows who the rolling stones yeah. are and- yeah i read that you know i again i i would disagree with that um maybe because well, well, i don't know i think well, she's I probably I think Marianne Faithful. If you ask just your average young person, that they won't know who she is. Okay, well, you can you go out your window and, and see who walking by. 
<laughs> ask some of my young neighbors. <laughs> young fellow there, young lady, <laughs> young person, young person. Marianne Faithful, who is that? Do you know? <laughs> but, you know, it's funny, you know, when uh, I was working at Licorice Pizza, uh, not the uh-huh. one we worked at, but the one in um, Sherman Way, when Broken uh-huh. English came out. Uh-huh. And Broken English was sort of like, whoa, wow, what is this album type of album? You know, because yeah, it's just yeah. like her, just like, uh, not on a rampage, but she's totally uh, expressing herself through a very rich language. Yeah. As well as being direct and presumably honest, you know, you suspect that it's about her. Mm-hmm. Uh, and everybody in the store loved that album. We played it consistently on Sherman Way, Mesita, Licorice Pizza, and it was a very popular record. We sold a lot of copies of that record. Yeah. And um, I think you know, the older people like me, of course, knew her history. But we also had some really young employees there as well. They were teenagers, and they got into it as well. So they got yeah. into the sort of, um, well, it's a great record, one, you know. Right. It, it is a great record. But it does stand out. And it's very similar to, um, in my thinking, like John Lennon's uh, Plastic Ono Band, his first uh, solo album. Yeah, that makes uh, sense. And, he, and she does a version of Working Class Hero, of John Lennon's Yeah, I love album. her version of Working Class so, Hero. So, you know, there's a, there's a strange connection there of a, of a, of a pop star uh, going through, two pop stars going through such horrendous times, at least in their version of it. Right. Uh, and yet coming out with albums that sort of break free or sort of like clears the air in a sense. I think it's funny that um, people often refer to like her having this breakthrough as an older woman, but in reality, she was only 33 when that yeah. album came out. Well, see, that's funny. You know, if that happened now, 33 is like a, a, a artist's second album. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> we, we have very little, te- besides a couple of like handful of teenage, you know, pop stars, most artists are now, you know, uh, started in their late 20s or, you know, Second well, album, I mean, you know, a lot of people, yeah, especially people that do more serious music, they don't break through until they're yeah. been around for a while and had a little seasoning. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, really, the only people who make it young are sort of the teeny bopper, you know, yeah. uber pop type thing. And, you know, the ones of those who um, turn to more serious music, then that's usually when they're older, you know, like yeah. 20s, early 30s, when they start doing more serious music. Yeah. So, yeah, but it is funny because everybody always says, oh, you know, she had a breakthrough when she was older. It's like, well, she was 33. <laughs> yeah. and, I, and, I, and I think John Lennon, when he made the Plastigona band, uh, was like 30 or something like that. So he was, right, he was right. Well, back then, you know, yeah. 30, being over 30 was, uh, you know, this is like, this is a, especially in rock and roll. <laughs> this is angry middle aged music. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Punk was around the corner, and Roy, Marianne, and Lennon were like this pissed off. Having <laughs> <laughs> their mid-age crisis in their early 30s. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but amazing records. Yeah, and it, I mean, she's been doing amazing records all along. Yes. Um, she's definitely an icon in, in, you know, aging uh, gracefully, as I guess they like to say. Yeah. Although, you know, she does it in a badass way. She's, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I don't think she sees it that way. I think she just sees it as this is what the fuck I'm going to do. This is I what think, I feel like doing. <laughs> I, think, I think she lives on a daily, you know, she, she lives for now. Yeah. I don't think she's that much of a past person. I think she's much of a a present personality. 
Yeah, well, I think that's what keeps her going, too. Yeah. You know? There's no point living in the past. That no. doesn't do you any good. No, we should not live in the past. Though I spend a lot of time thinking about the past and talking about <laughs> <it>. <laughs> But I do that in the present. <laughs> okay, there you go. <laughs> so anything else that you find interesting about the book? Um, you know, I, I did kind of, I was wondering about the decision to put that the photo that they used on the cover because so much huh. of the book she's talking about you know, how her career is, is, you know, really came to fruition as an older woman in the, you know, they end up putting on this uh, very sort of sexy photo of her from when she was very young. Uh, it's a still yeah. on a motorcycle. And uh, I suspect no. Tanya didn't have anything uh, no. to say about the cover design, but... Um, That's very interesting. I didn't think of that. You were correct. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's kind of... You would think they might have put a, okay, a there's photo two, of her when she was a bit older. There's two editions of this book. I think a British edition oh. and American. The one where we read is the American edition, but right. I believe the British cover, which is different, does show... Oh, an older photo? No, no. Oh. Uh, 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 you know, like a girl in a motorcycle era. Uh, oh, era. also also young, yeah, 60s yeah. era. Marianne, iconic. Yeah. I mean, I guess, you know, everybody thinks of her as that iconic 60s girl with the fringy right. bangs and all that and the blonde and, you know. But I actually think of her more, for me, when I think of Marianne Faithful. Because I was too young and she yeah. was first coming around. And uh, so I, for me, I, she's iconically more this super cool middle-aged woman, you know. That's You know, since I was raised with her in a certain, you know, a certain sense, yeah, yeah. I think of her, uh, my first image of her is as well as, as her being middle-aged or older woman. Oh, well, first, I thought you said you saw song. her. Oh, I did, but not. But you say like we were. We, we, but you think of her as like her. Yeah, so he says Mary unfaithful to me. You know, like something. Oh, else. I well, see. Well, yeah. Well, those young yeah. people off the window yell, "Mary unfaithful to me." Yeah. The yeah. first picture of mine would would be her, um, uh, like middle aged or older woman. Well, and because you know her most respected work comes from that time, and yeah. So, did you ever see her live when she was young? No, no, did you never. See her- You've never seen her live at all? Or never seen her live at all. Oh, you know, wow. I, I'm surprised. I've it, seen her. you seen I her? Saw her? I saw her in the 90s in New York, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. How was that? She was, oh, she was incredible. She was huh. great. She had like a full band or? Uh-huh, yeah, she had a full band. I think it was uh, for Vagabond Ways. Huh, yeah. I You know, I interviewed her. Oh, for what? Uh, for a magazine that I cannot remember what it what, what it what it was. When, when was that? Uh, it was when Strange Weather came out. Is that the album? The Tom Waits song. It's in the eighties. Um, it's a mostly cover. It's all cover songs. And, um, and Gary Calamar arranged it. Our friend Gary Calamar arranged the interview. I, oh. I did it over the telephone. And I was really nervous talking to her. I'll bet. I'll bet. Because she's very unfaithful. Sure. And she matters. I didn't know you did that. Wow. Oh, yes. Yes, I have a... Because I, I, I knew just, you then. I don't remember yes, that. I, I had a full career that you may not know about. Yeah, you're hiding things from me. You're so well, hiding. you know, there's so many things I've done. I just forget. <laughs> but uh, I interviewed her, you know, about the album. And I try to be, you know, very strange. I try to be as current. I, I, I definitely didn't want to talk about her past. Right. Was this for Option magazine? Maybe didn't Gary work at Option? Yeah, but I don't think it was for Option. It was like for it was like for a quarterly magazine that was happening for a while and didn't you know didn't take off. Oh, okay. But but so I talked to her and I definitely remember avoiding like any drug usage stuff or anything about the sixties. I want to be really just focused on her record. Sure. No, so and she was so sweet. 
and so uh, nice. And and she was very, you know, just just full of charm, and she was great. And yeah. okay, then the other thing, um, I knew or know her first husband, John Dunbar. I met him uh, with, with my parents in London in in, in the sixties. Oh. You met him as a child. Okay. Yes. Yeah, so uh, when I met John is after they split up. I think he was still married to her, but this is right. the time she was uh, going out with uh, Mick Jagger. Uh-huh. And um, I was thinking often in the interview, he said, should I mention that I know John? Like her first No. <laughs> yeah, right. That'd be kind of creepy. Or that, yeah, or, yeah. That's an appropriate thing. Well, to do, especially because right? I, you probably didn't know what the nature of their I did. current status exactly. Right? Yeah, so, so it's not, it's not sensitive. So it's not yeah. appropriate thing to do. Right. But I did. <laughs> oh, Tosh. <laughs> All right. So how'd that go down? <laughs> I'm sure she was graceful, right? The interview was over. You know, oh, the tape. Okay. So the this was off was the stopped. record. Yeah, I said. And I said <laughs> I said, I hope I can mention this to you, Miriam, that um, I'm, you know, I told her my age, how uh-huh. old I was at the time. And I said, when I was like 11 or 12 or 13, I met your husband, your first husband, John, John in London. And he was really kind to us and he's great. And, you know, he's a wonderful person to us. Uh-huh. And when I mentioned his name, she said, oh, John, I love him. I love him. I love him. You know, oh, okay. <laughs> they were like very close, you know. Yeah. Um, and I saw John this couple of years ago after many years and not, you know, decades. Uh-huh. And, and, you know, they're, they're still close friends. I mean, they're very, they're very tight. They're very tight. Yeah. And of course, they share a child. Um, they have, they have yeah, a child yeah. That, yeah. They're, very, they're very solidly tight, which is kind of sweet. I mean, I'm really happy that, you know. Yeah, I mean, that, I don't think that exists. was always the case, but I'm I'm gathering they yeah. sort of came to terms. And, but, you know, but, things got yeah, there. so they're both fantastic. She was so she was really happy that I brought them up. Oh, nice. Yeah, so that so that disaster that could have happened. <laughs> uh, I know. I can't believe you brought that up. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it's so funny. I had, but it was it, off the record. Okay. <laughs> yeah, of course, totally off the record. And, yeah, you know, yeah. Machine, tape machine, stop. But you know, yeah. I wasn't sure. I'm thinking, oh my gosh, she's so nice. And then should I bring something up that'll make her like, you know, like yeah, hate you? Yeah, <laughs> uh, she wasn't. She wasn't. She was just great. Just a, yeah, you know, really great. Yeah, I don't think she actually has a reputation of being mean to interviewers, like Lou Reed or anything. But no, still, no, no, no. You wouldn't want to bring up, you know. It's like I would never ask her about drugs or you know yeah. Mick Jagger and you know the the being found with the rug during the drug bus. Like, you know, those are things she obviously wants to put behind her, you know, and it's like, everybody knows that stuff already anyway. It's like, why yes. do you need to repeat it? Yeah, I'm that type of person. That's why I wanted to focus the interview just on her current project. Because, you know, everybody yeah. who knows her name would know the past and all that stuff. It's not like I'm running away from her past or, or she should be ashamed of her past or... Right, but I just like her. I just want to. I want to sort of bring up new information, like what she's up now, because she's such an interesting person, you know. Right. One thing she says in the very beginning of the book is she says hers is a story of redemption, not often granted to women in the industry. Yeah. And um, you know, it's true that she she really did uh, through strength, you know, just her personal strength, she managed to make this amazing career for herself when yeah. you know other people had written her off. She made it by her own skills, her own talent, her own art, and her yeah. character, you know. Yeah. And it seems like everybody who worked with her likes her a lot. Yeah, I don't recall hearing anybody's bad mouth. No, she, she yeah. I think all the rela- rela- her past relationships, either on a personal level 
or on a working level uh, always comes out positive somehow. I think they all like yeah. her and she likes them. And I don't sense she's not a bitter person or nor does she need to be bitter, of course. Right. But um, right. she's like a, you know, she's a good role model to me. She's somebody that I would, somebody I, I don't look up to anybody. That's not my nature. Mm. But yeah. she's somebody I, I would I greatly admire, and I think you know I think she's a really good person as well as yeah. a great artist. Well, for me, I just you know as to me, she's a role model in in how to age and continue doing good work. Uh-huh. You know, as I think a lot of people rest on their laurels. Um, yeah. Yes, they do. We we can think of some people she's associated with. <laughs> yes, <laughs> you exactly can. <laughs> you know, and she has never done that. She just uh, keeps pushing herself. A certain to, a certain group that a certain, yeah. group, a certain group that just played at St. Louis, Missouri, <laughs> <laughs> last night. Yes, yes. Some people who just keep playing the same songs over and over. Now, yes. They're great songs, but you yes. know, she's continued to push herself creatively. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so, you know, I admire that personally. That's something that I aspire to. Yes. Yeah. You know, continually keep trying to do new things and yeah. and uh, stay creative. You know? Very important. So, do we? Uh, what's going to happen next week? What's our next episode? Okay. Well, our next episode, we are going to be discussing a new book by the super cool New York guitarist, Mark Rebo. He has a book out. I believe it's his first book. It's called Unstrung Rants and Stories of a Noise Guitarist. I'm looking forward to that. Me too. I love Mark Rebo. I used to see him a lot in New York and Mm -hmm. um, he's an amazing guitarist. He's played with tons of cool people and he's done lots of cool uh, personal projects himself. So great. Looking forward to his uh, collection of essays. Okay, great. So, so that will be our next one. The book we talked about today was Why Marianne Faithful Matters uh, by Tanya Pearson, uh, published by the, Univer- the University of Texas Press. In Texas. In Texas, actually. <laughs> I'm not ashamed of Texas. So some people <laughs> are having some... Um, strong feelings about Texas at the moment, but yes, they are from Texas. Yeah, well, the nice thing about this series is it's actually quite female-centric. Yes, it is female-centric. <laughs> Almost the majority, I think like 90% of the titles are about women. <laughs> yes, interesting press. Uh, you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for all of our latest news. And we have playlists for every single episode on Spotify and Apple Music. And you can find links to everything on our website at bookmusic.com, B-O-O-K-M-U-S-I-K.com. So thank you, everyone. Take care. Bye-bye. <laughs>